1: Welcome, investors, to episode 17 of the Absolute Return podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. And I'm Mike Kessler. Today is Saturday, June 8th, 2019. A lovely Saturday. I just got back from Toronto. On Friday, got to open the stock market, which was fun. Did an interview on BNN as well. So if you haven't seen that, go and check that out. Obviously Toronto is really happening these days with the Toronto Raptors potentially winning the NBA championship shortly. They're up uh, three to one against the Golden State Warriors. So hopefully they can take that uh, championship on Monday, but let's get into it. A lot of interesting events happening this week. Uh, We'll start off off the top. On Friday night, Trump tweeted that he'll drop Mexican tariffs as the country's reached a deal on migrants with Mexico. We'll talk about what happens next messaging app startup Kick Interactive. They got sued by the SEC for their $100 million cryptocurrency offering. We'll talk about what they did wrong talking jobs this week Canadian unemployment rate it's a record low as the Canadian economy added more jobs than expected in May we'll talk about what's going on in the Canadian economy there in addition to that US jobs numbers came out as well but they disappointed to the downside with only 75,000 pretty significant miss on those numbers we're going to talk about what happened uh, exactly there finally we'll talk about transat they got an overbid or what seems like an overbid bid, a higher bid than what was previously mentioned from their offer from Air Canada. But we'll talk about, is that a legitimate bid? Big news on the trade war front. Last week's episode, we talked about a potential second trade war between the U.S. and Mexico. But what happened last, uh, last night on Friday? Trump says he'll drop Mexican tariffs as the country's reached a deal on migrants. We have a fresh tweet last night from President Trump. He stated, quote, I am pleased to inform you that the United States of America has reached a sign agreement with Mexico. The tariffs scheduled to be implemented by the US on Monday against Mexico are hereby indefinitely suspended. He also stated, everyone very excited about the new deal with Mexico. I believe that tweet was this morning along with this one. I would like to thank the President of Mexico, Andres Manuel Lopez, Obrador and his foreign minister, Marcelo Ebrard, together with all of the many representatives of both the United States and Mexico for working so long and hard to get our agreement on immigration completed, exclamation point. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that he tweeted out that the Dow Jones had the best week of the year. What are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, so the the U.S. has been demanding Mexico to begin detaining asylum seekers and increasing security at the uh, Mexico-Guatemala border. They've demanded this for a while now, but it has been reported that Mexico has already agreed to do this. So what remains unclear is whether these are new and broader concessions or if it's really just like a face-saving deal with no changes made, you know, after he had second thoughts on tariffs and, you know, the pushback from a... Republicans. So it's a little unclear as of as of right now. But one interesting stat is that Bloomberg estimated that an all-out trade war between the U.S. and Mexico could lower global GDP by about 0.8 percent by mid-2021.
1: Yeah. To get into it, what the U.S. was demanding here, or was Trump specifically, because I know a lot of Republicans and even his own advisors really uh, were against him on this one, he demanded that Mexico began Detaining asylum seekers that were coming up from Central and South America through Mexico seeking asylum in the U.S. while beefing up security at the Mexico-Guatemalan border and at checkpoints throughout Mexico between its southern and northern borders. What he was planning on implementing was a 5% tariff on all Mexican imports to the U.S. He indicated that that could increase to 25% by October. So the two administrations worked to get this deal done, and as you say, you know, per, perhaps a face-saving move. Once he realized that, you know, he tanked the market last week, and clearly that's very important to him, his uh, supposed scorecard, and probably uh, on the advice of many within his administration, that this was not, in fact, a smart thing to do for the economy.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and it's it- It was something that we had kind of brought up last week is that there's always the potential that Trump sees how the market reacts and then completely changes course. So that has kind of played out, you know, from our prediction a week
1: prior. Yeah, exactly. But bottom line, there's not going to be a second trade war. It seems Mexico's safe and I guess uh, Canada would be safe as well and the US MCA likely to get ratified, leaving free trade between those three nations as is. Interesting news in the crypto space. So what happened here was a messaging app uh, startup Kick Interactive, they're based out of Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, they got sued by the SEC over their $100 million cryptocurrency offering. They did a ICO in 2017, offering a crypto called Kin to investors uh, looking to raise money. What happened in April, the SEC published a framework to help determine whether or not digital assets basically cryptocurrencies, are securities. This framework cites a US Supreme Court case referred to as the Howey case. This is where the Howey test comes from, where they determine whether or not something is a security. This determined that an investment contract exists whenever there is an investment of money in a common enterprise with an expectation of profits to be derived from the efforts of others. So it's basically those three tenants that make whether or not something is a security. Obviously here, the SEC is claiming that Kin, this cryptocurrency that Kik did raise money selling, is a security and Kik claiming that it was in fact not. Statement from the SEC, quote, Kick told investors they could expect profits from its effort to create a digital ecosystem. Future profits based on the efforts of others is a hallmark of a securities offering that must comply with the federal securities laws. Some details here, KIK sold 1 trillion of its Kin tokens to more than 10,000 investors around the world in 2017. KIK said it planned to integrate the token into its chat app and use the money raised to create a new ecosystem of digital services. The company did not register the token offering with regulators, obviously, and this is why it's coming back at them now and investors did not receive the types of disclosures legally required in a securities sale. When you're selling stock, obviously you need to provide certain disclosures required from the regulators, such as a prospectus, financial statements, and, and whatnot. But obviously, Kik and other cryptocurrencies did absolutely none of that. Ironically, Kick is launching a $5 million crowdfunding campaign to mount a legal defense against the SEC in court, trying to defend themselves here. Lastly, I wanted to, mention a quote from SEC Chairman Jake Clayton on his views on ICOs. He stated, quote, I believe every ICO I've ever seen is a security. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so really
2: this comes down to the difference between a currency and a security. So you'd mentioned, you know, the definition of a security that the SEC has. But what Kik's arguing is that their token's value doesn't come from investment value, but from its use as a currency Uh, as their stated goal is to grow the KIN economy, where people can use their KIN as currency to buy goods and services. But the SEC's case is arguing that their marketing efforts were focused on a price appreciation of the KIN tokens, not in its potential as a medium of exchange. So, And their, their other interesting allegation is just in terms of structure is that the Kin token was built on the Ethereum network, mm-hmm. um, known as an ERC-20 token. And their their kind of analysis has, has said that at that time, that the Ethereum network would not have been able to handle the type of scaling transactions that Kin had discussed with their Kin economy. So it really provides credence that really all they were focused on was using this as a security, getting investors to invest in the security on the basis that that the token would go up in value. So when you're looking at this case, why, why we're even discussing it is that this really could be a landmark case Is there's been thousands of these ICOs and uh, this could be the next case if it goes through that's, that's referenced for the rest of these ICOs.
1: Certainly many in the cryptocurrency space, if you did an ICO, you are definitely watching your back now because if this goes against them, which I think is highly probable, then um, everyone's gonna kinda get taken down for what they did. I'm gonna tell it like it is. So Kik was a startup that was formerly a unicorn. I, I believe at one point they were valued at a billion or higher in a financing round, and they weren't doing so well lately. Their user base was actually dropping. They were highly unprofitable, burning cash, and effectively ran out of money. No VC was going to invest more money in a declining enterprise and at uh, a an valuation at a small fraction of what they were worth before. So they're basically a dead company. They even tried selling it and it went no bid. No one wanted to buy it. So the CEO had hatched this kind of a Hail Mary plan to capitalize on the crypto hype to raise money for his company. So the way I view it is they The one and only reason that they issued this Kin was to get money into their coffers because they were going to go bankrupt. With that in mind, clearly this absolutely was a securities offering. You can't say it was anything but. There was zero ecosystem when they sold this Kin security or Kin cryptocurrency. I think they're going to have a real tough time defending it. Ironically, they launched a crowdfunding campaign and it's being promoted uh, ostensibly by one of their directors, who's a fairly prominent VC. I view that as more him trying to bail out a portfolio company of his. They have clearly spent all the money, not only that they previously raised, but all the money that they raised in this this cryptocurrency offering. They can't even afford their own legal defense, they're looking to raise five million from uh, other investors obviously if you are a crypto type investor then you want uh, the sec not to win a landmark case here so i i'm assuming that's why why they're doing it but clearly i think that uh, the sec is right on this one and the kin was a security
2: absolutely and and in terms of the crowdfunding campaign as well they are (laughs) accepting cryptocurrency for the crowdfunding campaign, which is another interesting
1: aspect to all of this. Yeah, crypto that has declined a lot of in value and there are, I looked at what they had in their wallet and a good chunk of it was Kin, which is kind of ironic, which is you know, investors plowing it back to them after they sold it initially and it declined in value probably 95% or so. Let's get into the jobs numbers that came out this week. Canadian unemployment rate. It's a record low as the Canadian economy added more jobs than expected last month in May. Getting into some numbers here, the Canadian economy showed some green shoots in May as it added 27,700 jobs in the month. Easily exceeding the average economist forecast of only an 8,000 increase. So pretty significant beat there. The unemployment rate in Canada fell to 5.4%, which is a record low. The better than expected increase in the number of jobs made up entirely of full-time employment, as there's no change in the number of part-time jobs, followed a record 106,500 jobs that were recently added. The economy from a jobs point in Canada really uh, you know, hitting, hitting on every cylinder there. The Canadian economy posted its weakest back to back quarters in contrast of growth since 2015 in Q4 of 2018 and Q1 in contrast that incredibly strong jobs growth, however relatively weak GDP growth. It's uh, quite the conundrum for economists. TD Bank senior economist Brian De Prado stated, quote, recent communication from the Bank of Canada attributed weakness in hours worked to caution among employers. That caution clearly remains and with some trade uncertainty elevated, expect the Bank of Canada to stay on the sidelines for some time. Getting into the numbers, recently Ontario accounted for more than 20,000 of the jobs and BC, saw an increase of 16,800, so Ontario and BC the main winners there. Newfoundland, Labrador really struggling with some lost jobs. Interesting dynamic here you have incredibly strong jobs reports, not just one month, but many jobs reports in a row in Canada. Contrast that to a couple of quarters of fairly weak economic growth. We're talking you know, pretty close to recession level GDP growth. It's an interesting quandary for the Bank of Canada. They're dealing with relatively low inflation numbers as well. And typically when the jobs market is so strong, you have higher inflation. They are steadily raising rates, but here, I mean, you know, they're getting mixed signals, I'd say, at the Bank of Canada. What are your thoughts on the latest jobs numbers?
2: Yeah, so I first wanted to bring up that uh, I think I'd mentioned this uh, with the last numbers is that the hourly wage growth is continuing its trend upwards. So it's up at 2.8% growth year over year, up from 2.5% in April. So you're seeing nice nice hourly wage growth, which is a key indicator that the Bank of Canada does watch. But as well on the unemployment side is that number is a little finicky as it obviously is impacted by the job gains over the month, but also there is a decline in the labor force participation rate is down from 65.9% at the beginning of the year or month over month down to 65.7%. So there was a decrease of 50,000 jobs or a decrease in the labor force of 50,000.
1: Right, which could lead to the decline in unemployment rate, but it isn't a good thing just because people are leaving the labor force. You wanna see the unemployment rate declining in a healthy economy based on job creation. And more people working, not people giving up or just leaving the workforce. But this provides a good transition, a contrast to the ex- extremely positive Canadian jobs numbers. Big disappointment in the US, they added only 75,000 jobs in May. Non farm payrolls were expected to be 180,000 increase in jobs. Uh, that was the average economist's forecast. So, pretty significant miss on U.S. jobs numbers and this uh, comes at the end of you know, quite a pretty significant run that they've been on. Obviously, the U.S. economy has been doing very well pretty much since the economic expansion started in 2009. Now, this disappointing job growth number was the lowest since the economic expansion began. Just to give you some context on how disappointing this number was, we've had consistent reports at 200,000 or higher, so to get only 75,000 is uh, you know, quite a disappointment. It's a big contrast to April when the non-farm private sector added a stunning 271,000 jobs. So quite the contrast there between U.S. and Canada. We always caution that you should never take one data point. Potentially this U.S. number is an outlier. But that is to be seen. Any more thoughts on the, the US jobs report here? Yeah, in terms of the US
2: jobs growth, is a, it's predominantly in large business, so over five businesses with over 500 employees. Um, and it's really showing that small businesses are having some s- struggles in attracting workers. Similar to Canada, they are actually having a decline in their labor force participation rate. Um, so that's an impact as well. The labor shortages you know, really could impede some of the job growth moving forward, which will be interesting to monitor. But on the other side, they are having average hourly earnings increasing well above inflation. I believe yeah. it was just over 3% year over year. So the earnings power of the populace is increasing. So that should have some flow through effects into the GDP numbers in terms of the consumer spend side.
1: There is an interesting dynamic between economic data figures and the stock market. I feel like this number was the bad news is good news, bad economic news is good news for the stock market because we had a negative jobs report and market participants think that the Fed might be more likely to ease based on that big miss in jobs numbers. And uh, the probability of a rate hike from the Fed is actually increasing pretty dramatically. They're even talking about a potential rate cut this month. Those probabilities, those odds creeping up. And I believe a probability of a rate cut this year in 2019 is uh, nearing 100. I think it's north of 90%. So the market is uh, really focused on not just kind of weakening economic figures, but what is the Fed gonna do about that? And how can they help this expansion going? How can they help the market to keep going up and make new all-time highs?
2: Yeah, and I think the, so the exact numbers in those situations for the probability of a rate hike as of Friday, it had increased from 20% chance in Mm -hmm. June to 35%. And then in terms of a rate hike in July at that meeting, uh, it's now at 80%, so there's potential for two rate hikes, or hike, cut decrease, cuts, sorry.
1: Moving on to some M&A, some merger and acquisition news. Transat, catching an overbid or a potential overbid from a Quebec-based real estate developer called Group Mock Inc. This real estate developer announced last week that they're seeking to acquire Transat for $14 per share. Potentially topping Air Canada's previously disclosed friendly $13 offer for Transat. The would-be acquirer went public with, with its $14 bid and they indicated that it is contingent on getting $120 million in financing from Quebec's investment arm, which is quite the contingency. Quote here from Premier Francois Legault. He stated, quote, We said at the beginning that we were concerned there would be an offer that came from outside Quebec and that we were ready to help a Quebec group to put place an offer. Now we have two Quebec groups. He's referring to both Air Canada and Group Mock. So I don't think the government necessarily has to get involved. If there's a good proposal and an attractive investment for Investissement Quebec, which is their uh, provincial fund, they can look at that, but I don't see the urgency here given we're talking about two Quebec companies. There you have it. That's right from the mouth of the government, pretty much saying we're not providing you that financing. Quote from the CEO of Group Mach, Vincent Chiara, with respect to talks with the Quebec government regarding this funding, stated they are, quote, ongoing. They said they would provide that type of financing if they were satisfied with the business plan, which we'll submit to them. And this is the key. He stated they weren't opposed to the idea, and that's pretty much the bullish, most bullish he has to be on this. What are your thoughts on it?
2: Yeah. The, so you'd mentioned that the Quebec government will be required to uh, provide acquisition financing of 120 million, which is likely to be politically unpopular the other aspect is that they another condition is voting agreements with a couple of the large shareholders of transat um, so case and fstq which you know is is just another difficult hurdle to get around Uh, but what it'll be interesting to look at here is that mac plans to they plan to keep the management team in place and so it'll be interesting to see what the management team and board views of that as there could be some self-preservation involved as the potential with an air canada merger you know those jobs likely would be part of the synergies and so you know they're also committing to no layoffs which i'm not sure if air canada had committed to but that could be one aspect that the government in quebec looks at and if they view the potential for no potential layoffs, that could be very, viewed very positively.
1: Right, so a few things to touch on here. Number one is just the financing. I mean, to get $120 million, that is very, very sketchy, especially when you have a quote from the premier saying, look, we're not giving you this money. I do not view this $14 bid as a bona fide, bona fide offer. It's clearly, just a Hail Mary pass. I think it's highly unlikely to be anything legitimate. Transat now trading through the terms of Air Canada's $13 offer, it's trading at $13.40, so clearly some market participants believing this. I definitely caution investors against this $14 offer. It, as I said, it doesn't seem legitimate just because, look, they don't have the money. When you don't have the money, you can't do a deal. And that's that. The other thing is uh, going for Transat, you have seen some pushback from big shareholders there. Transat has a lot of cash on their balance sheet. They do have real estate assets, specifically that uh, that uh, hotel and land that they're building in Mexico, this big development, this Mexican development. So from a sum of parts perspective, I have heard shareholders looking for more $15, $16 per share, as opposed to the $13 offer from a sum of parts basis, this $13 pretty much pays for the cash on Transat's balance sheet along with their uh, real estate assets, really not paying anything for the airline. So some investors pretty upset with 13, they say it's too low. However, the premium was in the triple digits. I believe Transat was trading in kind of the $6 range prior to this deal coming through. Kind of hard to turn down a triple digit premium takeover on that side. Then another interesting dynamic against the Air Canada bid is just from a competition perspective. We talked about it on a previous podcast, just the antitrust risks with respect to that. Obviously competition is a major concern because they're consolidating the number one and the number three player. They have a very high concentration of market shares in, in certain segments of the business. The Competition Bureau is going to take a very close look at that deal. So, who even knows if it's going to get approved? That could be one positive for this $14 per share offer. So, there's that. But ultimately, I wouldn't put a lot of faith in that coming through. Air Canada still trying to complete their due diligence on Transat, uh, settle a definitive agreement shortly. But you also mentioned synergies and jobs. I think that. Air Canada's probably gonna bank on some synergies, and by synergies we mean job losses, job cuts, getting rid of some overlapping people. There's another dynamic, you know how Quebec loves their jobs, but at least uh, Air Canada is another Quebec-based company, so I don't believe this one should get very political.
2: Yeah, and, and in terms of the shareholders' views, the ones that I've read is basically their view is just that this bid would undervalue the company, and that they would recommend looking to sell the company after it returns to profitability and after they execute some of their strategic plan moving forward. So they aren't just saying that they're not willing to do a deal. It's just that they feel that this it perhaps isn't the best time to look to sell the company.
1: Right. And that about wraps it up for the Absolute Return podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. You can find more at absolutereturnpodcast.com. If you like it, leave us a review. You can catch us at all the other major podcasting apps, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play. That's it for us and we'll chat with you next week. Cheers.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty expressed or implied is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast and any liability is expressly disclaimed.